Welcome to Hard Talk, a podcast that looks at how we use technology and specifically ICTs in our daily professional and personal lives. Be it technological advancement in the transport industry, the revolution caused by the mobile phone, I also cover the disruption it is causing in the food and also the building industry. I'm your host, Robert Yawe, an ICT practitioner with over 30 years experience. I wrote this article during an electioneering period in the US. This is the famous election that got us Trump. For us Kenyans, we have been stuck in a campaign period for a couple of months now. The campaigns are in high gear. One cannot ignore the politics on our TV screens, radio, print, and your talkative neighbor. Not forgetting those platforms which say they secure our transactions from end to end, meaning that government has no access to what we're really discussing in the background. Before the internet and browsers that allowed anyone to seek unvalidated information, as well as smartphones that turned every headline hawker standing at a street corner into a journalist, the U.S. elections were the most transparent, unlike those in the so-called backwaters of Africa. Since the internet started getting distributed by balloons in the skies, glass under the sea, and microwaves in the air, that lie has been revealed. And we now know that the U.S. election is as rudimentary as that of the Gambia, where they cast marbles. Why do I say that? It is claimed that a certain dating site that recently changed its name was used by a foreign country to compromise the American election. Now, if the Americans can walk around and tell us that their elections were rigged through a dating site, can you imagine how much easier it must be to do it in an African country? But again, politics abhors technology. Why abhor the level of hate and fear of politicians to technology is difficult to ignore. I'm sure many of you watched as the leaders of the technology companies, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Amazon, were being questioned by the Senate in the US. You'd listen to the questions and you'd wonder whether this was the Inquisition. Politicians are clueless about what technology can do, but yet they are busy trying to regulate it. We've been down this road many times. In 2007, we made an attempt at going digital with our politics. We buggered it up. In 2013, we did the same thing again. And I believe that's when we started wanting people to open computers, open servers, all of which were actually sitting in the cloud. And some leading lawyer in the country, together with his wig-wearing partners, gave a directive that the cloud servers must be opened. And they were opened. I laughed my head off when I saw them walking around at the IBC looking at open servers. And they went back to court and said that the directive by the judge had been met. It's laughable. The transition from a manual political process that is rough with human intervention, corruption, and all the rest has to be led by those of us who are in the technology space. So long as we keep treating the issues of politics as separate from everything else we do as those in technology, then the country remains in trouble. We need to seriously take a stand as an industry and give direction to how we want to have truly transparent elections. And note, this is an open field. Even the Americans don't have it, which tells you that the problem is not those of us in the backwaters of Africa who are not able to fully implement technology into politics. Even the mecca of technology, the U.S., still continues to falter when it comes to implementing 
technology in politics. I remember in one of the elections petitions when somebody said that the servers for the IBC and the servers for one of the political parties were in the same data center, which therefore meant that the political party's servers must have influenced the IEBC servers. Now, when somebody says that in court and the rest of us in IT sit back and say nothing, then tells you that we are just as compromised as everyone else. As we walk around every day, I'm told 51 million of the 47 million Kenyans have mobile devices. Then it means that we should be able to have an election without having to show up at polling stations. But why won't we do it? Mainly, I suspect, is because of the mistrust by the political elite that the system will be transparent. But the rest of us shouldn't allow this to persist. I keep listening to people discuss public participation. And I think even the issue came up with the Huduma number, where a very high-ranking government official claimed in court that the public participation process was not done when deciding on selecting the Huduma number system. And I ask myself, what use is something like the public participation requirement when there's no threshold? At one point, I was active in politics. And I can remember at ward level, we would have what you call a public participation event where 25 people would show up and make decisions about the entire budget for a ward. And it was said that the public participation was met. How 15 people make a decision for 35,000 people tells you that our fear of technology is going to keep our political systems in the Stone Age for a, quite a time to come. A couple of years back, phones without valid IMEI numbers were pulled off the various networks. What's the purpose of the IMEI number? The IMEI number is a unique identifier of your device that can't be compromised, or at least the general public can't compromise it. That is more secure than even your ID number or your voter registration number, all of which we know have been misused during an election. If dead people can vote in our current system, the true test of a system is one that will make sure that those who are underage and those who are not alive do not get to vote. We all carry a device in our pockets. We need to run small tests of using the phone as a unique identifier in the political space. Twice a year, every ward has to run a public participation activity. This activity is used to verify or to vote on what projects should be done in the next financial year. Because these activities happen on a weekday and there's no public holiday issued for that, 99% of people in a ward would never be able to participate. Now, if we are able to do this digitally, then it means that everyone within that ward should be able to participate in the decisions on what project should be given priority. Then maybe 20 years down the road, we can have faith in the system and say we can vote for everything that passes through parliament and therefore we don't really need the level of participatory representative democracy that we run where we still send politicians and they don't represent our interests we should be able to vote on their behalf and all theirs will be is to press the button based on what we have decided all this is possible but we will not do it unless there is goodwill from us in the technology space as I do not expect it from the politicians.
somebody is likely to pop up and say that trying to use technology will disenfranchise certain people. But think of it this way. If there are rains on the morning of an election, more people will be disenfranchised because they will not be able to physically show up at a polling station. But the same people are most likely going to be connected to the data networks, which means that they should have been able to vote from the devices they carry with them without having to make the journey across to a polling station. Our problem isn't infrastructure. Our problem is willingness. Our problem is that we are corrupt to the core, not only our politicians, but also those of us in the technology space. While penning this article, I received a short message or an SMS on my tethered device from my government that my Huduma card was ready for collection. Maybe we still might be able to vote electronically. We did it with an electronic check settlement and mobile money, but will the politicians be willing to accept a system that is transparent and accountable? This podcast is hosted by Robert Yahweh and the content is based on articles written on the monthly magazine CIO East Africa. Production is done by Acute Media.